Okay. I'm going to go ahead and hit record here. Right. We're going to get to do that this time. We we are not. I don't think. But not this time. We, you know that might be a good way to end this series, mightn't it? So. I've actually been in part of a fish a foot washing ceremony, and uh, our pastor washed our feet, so it was kind of moving. <laughs> now here, uh, I kind of wanted to show this picture. It's not real quality. I kind of, uh, but if you can, if you can picture kind of where you're at. In uh, our church, we—if you kind of think of it, almost like a bullseye—and uh, you know, the first, the outer ring of the bullseye would be, you know, a congregational worship service. You know, at at nine or at ten thirty, you know, there'll be, uh, you know, 150 to 200 people in our church this morning, and so that—that's kind of the congregational uh, worship service. We we sing, we praise the Lord, we have. Uh, you know, preaching from the Word, and uh, but this morning, uh, right here at nine o'clock, this is where we're at. We're we're in a Bible fellowship. Who, who knows what ABF stands for? Kevin, Bible Adult Bible Fellowship. And uh, when I was growing up, they, we would call it Sunday school. And so, uh, and then uh, this next level. So these are kind of circles that kind of get smaller. And uh, we kind of have ministry groups, and so you might consider like the praise team. They they practice every Thursday night, so they're a little tighter circle than maybe a fellowship. I think of you know life issues, maybe Pat and Jim and I and, and my wife and Pam and Linda. We have a little you know a little smaller circle than just uh, Friday nights. So anyway. Um, <clears throat> So hopefully everybody's coming to our worship service. Uh, about half of our church, I would guess, are in, you know, if we have 180 here this morning at 1030, there's probably about 90 people in a Bible hour right now. There's We have five Bible hour fellowships. And... Uh, so this is one of five groups, and then there's there's probably more of these, but they're smaller. And so that's that was just kind of uh, what I wanted us to see. And so you may or may not be part of a ministry group, but uh, that that is what we're talking about for the next few weeks is ministry. And uh, we kind of have a, a philosophy that every member should be a minister. You know, historically you might think of well the pastor. That's the person who ministers. He goes to hospitals. He makes calls. He visits, he serves, but really every Christian should be a minister. And so I think that foot washing, uh, we'll see it. We're actually going to have two weeks of kind of introduction. And so it'll probably be the first of the year before we really start looking at 2 Corinthians. But Alana, did you have a comment? I, I wanted to ask, so understand the first two. What exactly is a, is a ministry group? So if, if you've been discipled, and you're being discipled right yeah, now. Yeah. With Betty Arney, so that's that's wonderful. Uh, so Betty Arney, she was one of our soccer coaches last spring. So the soccer coaches would be considered kind of a ministry group. Thank you. And so that is one of the goals of discipleship is at the end of it, you know, uh, you become involved in ministry. You might be a greeter. You might be a soccer coach. Uh, and so anyway, I just wanted to – so that's a good – any other questions about that or – um, so this is kind of high level maybe but uh, look at your handout now I, uh, <clears throat> my handouts are insufficient to Jim's handouts uh, I love his handouts didn't he do a good job with the tabernacle oh my goodness you know what's funny is uh, and Mary will think this is funny because uh, 
in January, I'm going to start uh, teach a class for Randy in our Bible Institute, and it's called uh, Typology. And the first thing he talks about is the tabernacle. Oh, yeah. it's loaded. And so, I do, yeah, you, you've kind of got the inside scoop there. Um, but anyway, uh, if you look at our introduction, I give you... Uh, uh, so the thesis here, it comes from this, these two verses in Second Corinthians, but the thesis is we should quit living unto ourselves and start living for Christ. And that's the key verses are, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all... And then here's here's the part that I kind of highlighted that they which live should hence should not henceforth live unto themselves but unto him which died for them and rose again. And so uh we're going to see this same pattern kind of with uh Christ washing feet because Paul says there that the love of Christ constraineth us and um this weekend I saw a guy with the got stopped by the police and uh, he was handcuffed. He had his hands behind him. But and so if, if you ever seen that person that just got arrested, he's constrained. That police officer constrained him and and Paul is saying that I mean Paul even says that he's a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ, but he says that the love of Christ constrains me. He's like I, I can't do anything else. The love of Christ it almost forces me uh, that if Christ died for me, I can't help but die to myself and uh, start living for Him that rose again. So that, that's pretty cool, isn't it? So anyway, that that to me is kind of the key verses out of Second Corinthians, and I'll probably put this at uh, the top of all of our handouts. So I'm going to give you just a little bit of introduction to Second Corinthians before we look at Christ washing the disciples' feet. Uh, historically, and, and let's all look at Acts. Look at Acts chapter 18. And this is kind of a cool verse. Uh, 18. Yeah, let me... So Acts 18, and I'm going to read the first, I think, 8 or 11 verses here. So Acts 18... So this is where uh, Paul actually started the church at Corinth. And so Acts 18 verse 1 says this, After these things Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth. Now I'm going to see if I can find this map here. Uh, I don't know if it's because these maps are a little... There it is. Let me see. Okay. Well, they're all there. Okay. So most of us have heard of the the seven churches that Revelation talks about. And so the seven churches are right over in here. Like there's Ephesus. I don't know. I'm going to make that a little bigger. Maybe. I think the Bible considers this Asia Minor. I'm sorry you guys can't see back there. I can't make it any bigger right now. But Laodicea, Colossae, Philadelphia, Sardis, Smyrna, Thyatira, Ephesus. So these are the seven churches that Revelation writes to. And uh, so across this Aegean Sea here is where Achaia is. So Achaia is like a region. And one of the cities, it's a port city. It's named Corinth. And uh, I've heard that it was like the fourth largest uh, city in the known world at that time. And I think it's behind... uh, Antioch, Jerusalem, and Alexandria, Egypt. I think those are the four big ones. And uh, any idea how big Corinth was? What do you think? A million. That's a good guess. It was a little less. It was 600,000. So it was probably a little bigger than KC Metro. It's about 500,000, right? So, so this port city of about 600,000 people 
the fourth largest in the world. So what did it say there? And uh, he departed from Athens and he came to Corinth. So so Athens is over here. You, you've heard of Athens, Greece. So this is modern day Greece. Uh, it's about, uh, I think, Second Corinthians was around 58 to 60 A.D. after uh, 30 years or so after the Lord's death, and uh, so the joke is that's where they they cook donuts is in Greece. R R R R R. Yeah, I knew Jim would like that one. Yeah, that's where they cook donuts is in Greece. Um, so anyway, that's our, our Bible verse we just read. There is that he traveled from Athens and came to Corinth, and in verse two, and found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy, and. I'm, I'm not the best at geography. I think Italy is across another sea this way, so Italy would be on the on the left or to the west of this map. It says with his wife Priscilla, <clears throat> because that Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome and came unto them. So I think that was uh, some of the persecution around Jerusalem. It kind of forced some of the Jews to disperse. And then verse 3, And because he was of the same craft, he abode with them and wrought, that means he worked, for by their occupation they were tent makers. And uh, this is kind of a, a cool thing is... Uh, a few times Paul, I mean, he even says in Corinthians that uh, you shouldn't muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn. And so he's saying that laborers are worthy of their hire. You should pay your ministers. But, you know, Paul, he never, he it even says that in Corinthians, he never received any money from them. He knew that would be a little bit of a stumbling block. So when he was with them, he was a tent maker. He he earned, you know, he made tents at night and preached in the day or vice versa. <clears throat> and so that's kind of interesting. So he was uh, kind of a lay pastor there. And verse 4 says, And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. And so this was kind of Paul's uh, MO. It was his mode of operation. When he would come to a town, uh, there's almost always a synagogue in every city. And so he would go there and try to persuade the Jews out of the Scriptures how that Christ uh, was the Messiah and he died for them and rose again. Uh, So that's what he was doing here at Corinth. In verse 5, And when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia... And, and I believe, let me see if this other, yeah, no, this has got it. So Macedonia, you hear, you hear, you hear that term. It's a region just like Achaia is a region. So Macedonia is to the north there. <clears throat> um, I lose my place. Okay, starting again with verse 5. And when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said unto them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From henceforth I will go unto the Gentiles. And... You know, Paul had a burden for the Jews. They, Paul was a Jew and he wanted to reach his own people. But at some point he had to kind of shake the dust off and say, you know what, I'm going to the Gentiles. And he became known uh, as the uh, the apostle to the Gentiles or, or uh, uh, to the uncircumcised. So... Okay, verse 7. And he departed thence and entered into a certain man's house named Justice, one that worshipped God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. 
So Paul was living right next to the synagogue. And Cyprus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house. And many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. So you're reading the birth of this church at Corinth. Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision... Be not afraid, but speak, and hold not thy peace, for I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. Uh, that was Jesus, uh, that's what the vision was. Uh, whoever the, this uh, angel or whatever Paul heard in his uh, by night in a vision. Well, yeah, it says the Lord. The, yeah, that's good. Okay. So it was the Lord that appeared to him. Thank you, Kevin. And I like it that he says, I have much people in this city. And I think what he means by that is if they heard the gospel, they would get saved. And so he needs Paul to stay in Corinth for a time. So could that not be true of Harrisonville? Maybe I have much people in the city. That's a good little phrase, isn't it? And so... Uh, so under your on your handout now, uh, Paul and Timothy wrote to the church historical uh, of Corinth uh, to to put the church. I got to get my glasses on uh, back online in ministry. So so what we're going to uh, see next week we'll look at uh, just a little bit about First Corinthians because many things in First Corinthians he wrote that you know they were. If you know your Bible, like so, Acts and then the Book of Romans and First and Second Corinthians. So, Romans is a lot of doctrine, and uh, this is kind of cool because uh, for I think it's Second Timothy three sixteen does say all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. So, the Bible's written by inspiration for doctrine and that's what Romans is and then it says for reproof and a lot of that's what happens in 1 Corinthians he reproves them he reproves them about uh, you know taking one another to court for uh, uh, you know for fornication and he talks to them about marriage he talks to them about the resurrection so the Corinthians like you know like young Christians we we don't know uh, how to serve the Lord properly, and we make messes, don't we? Babies make messes. <laughs> Babies are messy, and uh, so that's what First Corinthians is about. But the cool part is, those Corinthians, after he wrote to them and gave them truth, you know what? They they uh, they uh, they got right. They so he reproved them in First Corinthians, and so Second Corinthians. Uh, is really his heart for ministry and uh, there's a couple things that maybe he corrects him on but it's really the heart of a minister and so I think I give you a blank there that 2 Corinthians has been called the the pastor's handbook for ministry Paul and Barnabas started the church at Corinth on their second missionary journey so just the number two if you want to put in your blank there Let's see if the retinue's very good. So uh, it was their second missionary journey. How many? Uh, how many missionary journeys were there? Do you know? Three. There, there were uh, three. Um. And some people even say his fourth missionary journey is when he was taken to Rome and imprisoned. So, uh, so three or four. But anyway, it was his second missionary journey that he was there in Acts 18, like we just read. And uh, this, this is a little bit of speculation. It says Apollos may have become the pastor at Corinth, and it mentions here uh, him here later in uh, in Acts. So we we think he was at least there. You know, it could have been uh, one of these other men that it mentions too. So don't don't put a lot of stock in that. And then the doctrinal, and uh, <clears throat> I, I think what's rich. One thing I try to do is you know uh, you know give some history behind these lessons. Hopefully, you think it's interesting. It, it's it's very. 
you know important to know. And then there's a doctrinal aspect that uh, we look at here. And then there's a devotion. We want to know how to apply it to our own life. So that's how I kind of made this little handout. So the doctrinal part. Uh, one thing's really cool that there's seven churches written to in the book of Revelation, and then there's also seven. Uh, churches written to in Paul's epistles. So uh, the first one we said is Romans. The second is the the churches at Corinth. Number three was the churches at Galatia, and then number four is actually the church at Ephesus. And uh, number five, uh, Philippians was the church at Philippi. And number six was the church at Colossae, and then seven was the church at Thessalonia. And so they kind of match up with the seven churches of of Revelation. And so uh, it looks like uh, Thyatira, this odor of affliction. So uh, one of the things that I'll, I'll give you next week, but if you just kind of... Uh, I got this note from uh, Peter Ruckman. It, it just he lists out about twenty words that are mentioned in Second Corinthians, and uh, it's like despair. We were cast down. We were perplexed. He mentions all. I mean, these are words about ministry, and uh, when you think about this uh, affliction, the church of Thyatira had some. And what do you think of when you think of persecution? What do you think of? If somebody persecute the Christians, see, see, there's there's kind of two ways. You said bloodshed, so yeah, you think about you know getting martyred or beheaded or beaten, but there's also kind of a cultural persecution because I know like when we were in India, some of Impradeep's church. They were like they couldn't work at a certain job because I mean they lost their job because they're Christians. That's persecution, isn't it? And sometimes I mean I know even some of our family gatherings have been difficult because because we left a certain church that her family's part of and it was just difficult. There are difficult conversations and uh, that's a form of persecution. I mean so there's kind of a cultural and there's a physical persecution. It's both. So we we may not get cast into prison. But um, <clears throat> I used to have some magnetic stickers that I put on the bumper of my truck. It was just a Bible verse. Well, I put it on my, you know, my toolbox at work. Well, you push that down the hallway, and everybody's seeing this verse coming down the hallway. I got called into HR over that. It's like, you know, we like you, Steve, but you can't have those on your. I mean, fired for giving somebody a Bible one time. You got fired for it. For Really? Because uh, I'd be out there reading on my break because they would ask me what the word for the day was, and I would read out loud in front of everybody. And, wow. And pretty soon I got fired for harassment. Uh, <laughs> huh. Wow. Yeah. So that, <laughs> that was, when I was doing real good now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, though. They didn't say who I harassed. You can put a rainbow flag on your car. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure I could. Um, anyway, yeah. So it, it is a double standard, but we we understand it. Uh, it is more spiritual in nature, and uh, so now devotionally, this book shows us how to minister. It shows us how to make uh, things right. It shows us how to make things right when people want to do what is right. It teaches us what we need to know about ministering to people. So hopefully uh, uh, th- this next point will solidify this. Uh, go to Second Corinthians now, chapter 12. I think this is just probably the best point I'll make today. Second Corinthians 12. And uh, Emma, we'll start with you. 12, read verses uh, 14 and 15, would you, brother? For the seat not yours, but you, for the children, not mine, to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. 
and I will very gladly stand and be sent to you. For the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. How many of you in here today uh, are parents? Okay, most of us. Uh, I know Jaime and Aura are. You guys are parents. So, uh, ministering is pictured by parenting. And uh, I think this number changes some, but they, they say that the cost in America of raising a child from birth till they're about 18... Is about two hundred fifty thousand, about a quarter of a million dollars. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My dad says that uh, you have to raise your kids till they're fifty, and sometimes there's an extension on that. <laughs> That's what my dad says. So, so here's the point: is it, it says that the children don't lay up for the parents; the parents lay up for the kids. Here it is. Ministering is a one-way street, isn't it? I mean, your kids, it's refreshing when they obey. It's refreshing when they give back. But you don't help them expecting that, do you? It's a one-way thing. And so, uh, if you... Hear, hear me on it. If you if you expect a pat on the back, or if you want, if you expect a good job, if you expect a good a thank you for helping people and serving the Lord, you're going to get disappointed. You're you're going to be discouraged, aren't you? And, and so it's refreshing when that happens, but you don't do it for that reason. Does that make sense? And so that that is the picture that Paul gives us is by parenting. <laughs> Um, and he says that isn't it funny most women their life is not complete if they don't have children sometimes isn't it it in the bible I think it actually says that a barren woman it's a reproach to them and uh, but isn't that funny that uh, it's, it's such a thankless job but yet it's in you to want to do that and ministry should be the same way. It should be like, you know, I will gladly spend and be spent, you know, without receiving any. I'm going to lay up for you whether you ever help me back or not. <clears throat> so those are the type of attitudes that Paul had. And uh, uh, he he tried to correct and he wanted him to do right. And, uh, and, and he says at some point that uh, they are his cause for rejoicing. And most of you probably have uh, pictures of your children and you rejoice that you have them. <clears throat> and uh, they are, you know, uh, they help validate you. They are a little bit of a crown to you. <clears throat> and so uh, we love having kids and so should it be uh, with ministry that you want to be proud of those that... Uh, that you serve. Alright, letter E there on your handout. I gave you some quotes. Uh, some of you might know Debbie Mulder. She says that ministry is the overflow of a relationship with God. And I think that's true. I, I think, you know, King David, when he says, my cup runneth over, and I, I know Kevin prays this sometimes. He's like, you know, Lord, fill that person's cup. You know, uh, if, if your cup is empty and you don't really have any resources physically or you're just emotionally spent, it's hard to be cheerful, happy, you know, help others when, so, uh, <clears throat> so there's a certain amount of self-care that we need to have, but, uh, she says it's a, a ministry is a rela- an overflow of a relationship with God. And then Alan Shelby says that ministry runs on the rails of relationships, and I'm sure he could explain that better, but, uh, <clears throat> that's part of the reason we, we partner with sometimes with other churches, cause, you know, we're going the same direction, let's partner with, and let's, let's help ministry go forward, uh, by our relationship with each other, we can have, uh, ministry. And I, I was listening to, um, I'm trying to think where I was at. I was listening to, okay, <laughs> the last time I went and visited my dad, uh, 
we went to a country western show, a country music show, and uh, you know, there's like five or six parts, you know. But I thought, you know, without any part of this group, it would just wouldn't sound as good. It, it kind of took all of them for the, and sometimes ministries that way. It's it's more of a, a group effort. Uh, you know, the Christmas boxes we're doing. You know, hopefully some folks are going to be blessed when we show up at their door with you know a big box of food and uh you know several people put that together and people are delivering it and uh hopefully someone feels ministered to by receiving that and then this number third one uh ministry rides on the wave of service so this uh we make a little bit of a distinction between ministry and service oftentimes in the bible ministry has to do with uh, the word of God. So, you know, an usher greeter might just be shaking people's hand, and, and that's serving the Lord. That's serving others. But what what's happening now is uh, I'm I am ministering the word of God to you. But a lot of times it takes service in order for ministry to happen. Does that make sense? Uh, so. Uh, you think of a tidal wave, you know, there's a lot of water that has to move, but uh, the, just the tip of it is, is the, the, the wave. And so, uh, anyway, hopefully that makes sense. Sometimes it, you know, uh, somebody had to get here this morning and open the doors and somebody make coffee and, you know, the church, the the, yeah, they turned up the heat and they cleaned the church on Friday. So those are all service things that now ministry can happen, right? The church is clean. Uh, uh, after, uh, I had a little trouble with the refrigerator last night. I had to uh, clean the clean the evaporator coil on the refrigerator. You know, I was here for an hour or two last night doing that. But anyway, all those things are uh, necessary for ministry to take place. <laughs> and the fourth one here, I got this a couple weeks ago. The service or the work of the ministry is too important to attempt without the work of the Holy Spirit. And so we'll see that in this series as well. Uh, Paul Chapel is a pastor out in California, and uh, I like uh, some of the things he has to say. And number five is HBS philosophy is that every member should be a minister. A general thesis is for all Christians should be ministers. And uh, at Kansas City Baptist Temple, where we were at, they used to have a banner that said "Men, Ministry, and Missions." And so, as you're sitting in church, you could just look and see that 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 was some of the emphasis that they had. And then uh, look at Second Corinthians four. I'll give you a little definition to ministry. And uh, Pam, I'll let you read those. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we thank not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, handling the word of God deceitfully, but manifestation of the truth. Commanding ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Yeah, so in the first verse that Pam read there, she said that they've received this ministry. And then in, in verse 2, uh, they haven't handled the Word of God deceitfully, that they're trying to manifest truth. By commending themselves to every man's conscience. So I, I put that a definition of ministry is truth applied to people's consciences. So, uh, you know, that, that's what brings about change. If we, if we, uh, are convicted about something and we hear truth and like, you know, I, I do need to change this in my life and, uh, so that, that, that's a good definition of ministry. And this next, uh, my teaching point here, before we look at the Lord worship disciples' feet, uh, I've got the verse on your handout here. And this is kind of Randy Foster's verse for ministry. I think he signed this in my Bible. This verse says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me for that he count, he for that he counted me faithful putting me into the ministry 
And so uh, Randy has felt that way, that the Lord has enabled him and counted him faithful. So I put this, the words enabled and uh, faithful. So my teaching point is God enabled Paul to minister because Paul was faithful. And so that that is kind of a, a bedrock thing. Before the Lord will maybe allow you to minister, at least, uh, you know, there, there's a certain amount of faithfulness, isn't there? Does that make sense? And uh, I think that's true. So now let's go to John 13. And we'll, let's look at this thing of feet washing. So John chapter 13. And one one thing I thought was really cool, they, they think that uh, John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, those five verses of John may have all happened the night uh, that the Lord was betrayed. So John 13... Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. So this is the story. Uh, it's it's actually right before, at the end of John 13, it talks about the Lord's Supper. But they had already they had just eaten the Passover uh, meal. Is is when this happened. So look at let's look at John 13. <coughs> And uh, let's see, uh, Cheryl, do you want to read or do you want Alana to read? Uh, Alana, do you want to read these first four verses? Uh, in chapter 13? Yeah. Okay. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus of his hour was come, that he should depart out of his world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. Yeah. And what do you think it means when he says he loved them unto the end at the end of verse 13? It was on the cross. Okay, maybe he's pointing all, all the way to the end. Yeah. Uh, so I want you to, don't don't miss this. Uh, you remember Paul said that the love of Christ constraineth us. Well, that's what that's what Jesus is saying. He says, because he loved his own, which were in the world, he, he says he loved them to the end. That love has to be at the basis of why we do ministry, doesn't it? That, that's probably at the basis of why you help your kids. You, you love them, and so uh, Christ had a supernatural love that uh, he didn't expect anything in return. It, it was a one-way deal, and he loved them to the end. So, so don't miss that. And uh, he's going to demonstrate it here. He's going to show them that he loves them. And in verse 2, it says that uh, the devil had put in the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray Christ. And uh, uh, this ministry that he's doing, it it takes place kind of in the middle of opposition. Uh, You know, oftentimes... Uh, ministry happens in, the, in in spite of opposition, doesn't it? I, I'm trying. I don't. I didn't plan to give an example right now, but um, you you may minister to people uh, even though you're opposed. Sometimes you, that's a little bit of a, a kind of an indication that you're doing right, isn't it? That you know, right after right after Jesus was baptized. Uh, he was spent 40 days in the wilderness and then was tempted of the devil. So just right after baptism and everybody's, you know, right after his triumphal entry, a week later he's crucified. You know, just uh, a lot of times you do, you, you may, uh, 
you know, be excited and happy about something and, and become opposed for even doing good. Um, now, at the end of verse 4 that uh, Atlanta read, he laid aside his garment. And uh, this is one thing I'm going to speak about on Friday night at our recovery group. Just uh, We may have to lay aside something in order to minister. He, he had to do that. But, I mean, maybe he didn't want to get his outer garments wet or dirty. And so he laid them aside. And, you know, if you look at uh, Philippians 2, you know, uh, Jesus humbled himself and took on the form of Jesus had to lay aside his heavenly deity he left uh, there's an old song that sings out of the ivory palaces into a world of woe and uh, it's love that made him go and so uh, <clears throat> you and I uh, sometimes in order to do ministry we have to lay aside something don't we I don't know if you can think of example right now but probably I mean even if Sometimes you have to lay aside your your home life. Okay. If if God if God calls you on a mission. Yeah. And then you have to leave your family and and go to ministry. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. That's a good one. Do you have one too, Kevin? No, just I mean anything that you do more than God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Better example. <laughs> we uh, I had a friend who was alcoholic and. Uh, he was staying with a friend. This friend had a hot tub or swimming pool, and and uh, my friend who's alcoholic, he would. I think the hot tub was right by the driveway or something. It was like, you know, kind of a uh, in a wooded area. So I mean, it wasn't like. But anyway, so my friend who's alcoholic, he, he's reading his Bible on the edge of the swimming pool or hot tub and he's got a beer in his hand oh, no. oh, wow. <laughs> and so his friend drove up there and his friend said something like you should probably put one of those down <laughs> it was just and it was just a moment of clarity for my friend that these two are not the same <laughs> anyway kind of highlights that so, so yeah we we may have to put aside things Things that are not healthy for us in order to do uh, good. So, the second page of your handout, we got about 20 minutes here. Uh, my teaching point here uh, what do you need to lay aside to better minister to someone? And I gave you a verse here in Galatians. Uh, for brethren, ye have been called unto liberty, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. So there, there again, it takes love to serve one another. And uh, uh, Kevin, do you, do you want to read back in John? We're verses five through seven. If if you would mind reading those. Yeah, John 13, 5 to 7. After the fourth water into a basin had begun to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them down with a towel where he was girded, then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter said unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What? Do thou notice not now? What thou notice yeah. now? But thou shalt know hereafter. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little bit of tongue twister. Uh, so when he poured water into a basin, a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, and he wiped them with the towel wherewith he was girded. So uh, my point here is just mainly that he needed a vessel to hold the water for the washing. And so I, I kind of keyed that Jesus needed a vessel to hold the water. And I gave you a verse or two on your handout that, but in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself 
from these he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. So there's kind of an analogy or metaphor of a vessel being like people that if we are able to purge ourselves, uh, we, we can be vessels of honor and fitted for every good use and uh, become sanctified. And so, uh, but Peter was kind of opposed to this, wasn't he? He Maybe he acted pious. And uh, uh, those of you that were in with Jim's teaching on the tabernacle, you remember after the altar of uh, sacrifice, uh, there was the, the the laver, the brazen laver, where the priest would wash his feet and hands maybe before he goes into the tabernacle. And so I liken that to this, that Peter was, uh, he was an apostle and he was clean, he was following the Lord, but... Uh, but he he still needed to wash his feet, uh, and uh, you know you read some historical things on this, and I guess uh, typically houses would have maybe a thing of water by their front door, and you would wash before you come in because you're you know you got sandals on dirt roads and. Uh, so maybe in their haste to have this last supper together, maybe they all got up there and they weren't, uh, you know, didn't have their feet clean. They just went on in without washing their feet. And, uh, you know, now it's after supper, uh, it says, and, you know, they don't sit in chairs like this. They're, they're more reclining couches. So, you know, your feet are maybe closer to people's faces and now you can see their dirt. And so it's a little different maybe than coming over to somebody's house and sitting on a couch. It's more of a lay back and, uh, <clears throat> recline. So, uh, if you can kind of put yourself in that, Environment, and you know, you know, there's animals along the road. Maybe they stepped in poop. You know, it's it could have been. Uh, no sewers. Yeah, yeah, is open. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh. <laughs> what do you say, Atlanta? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There would be somebody, maybe a sign to do that. Right. Be, yeah. So they didn't think any of them uh-huh. should take on that job, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, they wanted to be greatest. Um, now that's a good point. So uh, my teaching point here is, and this is one of my verses for ministry from Romans 12. It says, Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. And so uh, this thing about condescending... You you can condescend to someone without being condescending. You know nobody likes to be like talked down to, but it's like um, you can lower yourself to their level and and serve them <clears throat> as you would want to be treated. And so that that's a good uh, verse that I like for ministry. And uh, and I some of you saw Kelly Tally come in here earlier. She she's now working for Compass Health and. You know, so she's kind of at the front desk as people come in, and uh, you know, people are there to get 30-day treatment or counseling, and so she hears just a. My, my point is, is, there's a lot of people of low estate, and maybe you're in here and you're a working person and you're healthy, and but there's a lot of people that aren't, uh, isn't there? There's a lot of people that uh, are less fortunate, and uh, <clears throat> so. So we do need to uh, condescend to those of low estate. Um, now these next verses, three or eleven. Through, I'm sorry, chapter thirteen, verses eight through eleven. Uh, Larry, do you want to read those? Yeah. Okay. Peter said unto him, Thou shalt wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I Wash your, if I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. 
Simon Peter says unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus saith unto him, He that is washed needeth to needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him, therefore say said he we are not all clean. Yeah, and that's a tongue twister. Good job, Larry. Uh, especially verse ten. So he he tells him that you are clean, but but not every whit. Like even though you're clean, you're following me. Your, your feet are still dirty, so you need to be washed. But then he says, uh, but not all. And so that's a reference to Judas Iscariot. It says, for he knew uh, who should betray him. And that's why he said, "Ye are not all clean." So uh, it's kind of ironic. He he, it implies that he washed Judas's feet, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. And uh, and so uh, you know, it said in verse two there that the devil, having put into his heart of Judas's character to betray him, and then later it, it actually says that the devil entered into him. And uh, so he, this is the very night that. That uh, he betrays the Lord with a kiss, and uh, do you know that I think it's in John 18 where it says that Jesus calls him friend, and I, I think that's pretty that's pretty uh, amazing of the Lord uh, as Judas is betraying him. You know why are you here, friend? And he calls him his friend. I don't know. That's just kind of eerie, almost to me. There's just a lot going on there. <clears throat> So, uh, on your handout, uh, Peter tries to decline being having his feet washed, but Jesus says, well, if I don't wash you, you're not going to have any part of me. And so what does he say? What does he say he wants to wash his feet and what else? Yeah, essentially his whole body, but I think, think what he says there, his hands and his head also. And I, under your teaching point there, I, I gave you, uh, examples from the Bible where all three of those are mentioned. And if you, if you think about this, your feet represent where you go, and your hands kind of represent what you do. And of course your head is, you know, what you think, or it's kind of your control center. And uh, that, that's what whenever Moses was anointing Aaron as high priest, they dipped, uh, they put a, a drop of blood on his ear, and a drop on his hands, and a drop on his feet. He would, he would, he was consecrating Aaron to be the high priest, and it mentions his his ear, uh, his hands, and his feet. So it's just kind of interesting that Peter would say what he said there. And uh, yeah, you're right, uh, Belinda. It does imply, like, you know, clean me all, clean all of me, then, Lord, because I want part. I want to be part of you. Maybe like all your gates, Sam. Yeah. Wash all your gates. Yeah. Your contact with the world, and yep. Go. Yeah, your your head would be your eyes and nose and mouth and ears would be all of that. So that yeah, that's a good good point, Kevin. <clears throat> so anyway, all all these words are important. And so I gave you all those references. I underlined some of the key ones. That's that Second Kings when it's really interesting when Jezebel was killed. Uh, I think they threw her out of a window. And remember the dogs ate her, ate her, licked her blood or something. And then so whenever uh, I think it was, I don't know if it was Jeroboam. No. It was Jehu. I think it was Jehu was the king. He went back out to see her and said all that was left of her was her feet, the palms of her hand, and her skull or something. It's like that was all that was left of her. And so that's, that's the part that got her in trouble was her feet, her hands, and her head. So it's just really wild just those times that the Bible mentions those three things. <coughs> so uh, 12 through 15. Uh, Belinda, do you want to read that in John? Sure. So after he had washed their feet and taken his garments and sat down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? 
you call me Master and Lord, and you say, well, of course so I am. <coughs> if I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you also ought to worship one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Yeah, so now, this is kind of a continuum. He's like, what I'm doing to you now... Uh, I'm giving you as an example that you should do as I have done. So that's that's why I call this little section a continuation of ministry. And uh, notice it says you've called me Master and Lord. Do you know uh, Judas never called Jesus Lord? He he always called him Master. Uh, you know, Master is, is kind of a reverence. It's you know teacher or rabbi, but he never called him Lord. And uh, Peter and and others uh, usually called him Lord. So I thought that was kind of interesting. I gave you just a little quote here from D.L. Moody. And uh, I don't know if you know Moody. I didn't... I don't know a lot about him, but uh, today there's the Moody Bible Institute in uh, Chicago area, <clears throat> and he was just a great evangelist of uh, probably a couple hundred years ago. But here's a, I gave you, I read a little thing that he was fully surrendered. It says when D. L. Moody was just starting in the ministry, he heard a preacher make this statement. The world has yet to see what God can do with one man fully surrendered to Him. Moody said, uh, "Moody that night said, by grace I will be that man.' That's pretty cool. <clears throat> so Moody tried to be fully surrendered his whole life to the Lord, and uh, uh, part of the reason I put that in there, he, he gave an example of. Uh, I think I think he he led some evangelism conference, and people were 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 there from uh, other countries. And uh, if you ever go to India, you'll you'll think of this. The night we did a service in uh, in uh, for, for Pradeep Lima, he like lives on the main level and guests on the second level, and churches on the third level. So you. But when you go into their church service, everybody puts their shoes outside the door. And, you know, if there's 200 people, there's 200 pairs of shoes there. I mean, there's just a pile of shoes. And uh, anyway, so when they came to Moody's Institute, uh, I guess people put their shoes outside their door. And uh, I'm probably telling the story wrong, but... Anyway, uh, Moody, I guess, just checked on everybody in the night, and and he seen all these shoes, and he went back to his room, and he was polishing them, and going to put them back for his people that came to his conference. And uh, the story's told by somebody that was one of Moody's helpers. He seen him doing that, and he went in there and helped him polish the rest of them. And so then they went and put them back. And so that you know, Moody probably wouldn't have told that story of himself, but uh, this his helper did so anyway uh, stuff like that goes on so this last these last two verses and then we'll be done uh, Jim will you read uh, verses 16 and 17 verily verily I say unto you the servant is not greater than his lord neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him if he know these things happy are ye if ye do them yeah, and I, I should have put this better, but uh, verse 17, happy are ye if you do them. You know, I, I've noticed the times that I'm most happiest is when I've been able to serve somebody. All, all Everyone wants to be happy, don't they? Well, and, uh, you know, the Old Testament used the word blessed. You know, blessed is the man that does this. I mean, when you serve people, you, you're going to be happy. And uh, so if you're hearing what Jesus is saying and you're observing what he's doing, you're learning by his example, then you're, you're going to be happy. <clears throat> and uh, your, your last blank, we probably don't really have time to go there, but, uh, <clears throat> but they think that Luke 22 was, uh, was written at the same time of this... Uh, time in the upper room with his so there's the disciples are kind of questioning among themselves which is going to be greatest and Christ tells them it, the servants are the, going to be the greatest 
And uh, let's look at 1 Corinthians 16, 15, and then we'll be done. 1 Corinthians 16, 15. And uh, we'll close with this verse, and we have about 30 seconds. Uh, Mary, 1 Corinthians 16, uh, 16, 15. 1 Corinthians 16, 15, yep. The uh, the John twenty that I had on your hand, I, that's where it says, "As the Father has sent me, so send I you." And then, uh, what does First Corinthians say? I beseech you, brethren. You know the house of Stephanus, yeah. that is the first fruits of Achaia. That's all right. And that that are addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. Yeah. So it says that this household of Stephanus, they are in Achaia. And it says they're the first fruits. So these are some of the first people that got saved in Achaia. Uh, they addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. And so uh, I guess that is the warning label that we're putting on this. If we become ministry-minded, be careful. It's, it's addictive. You might get addicted to the ministry of the saints. And uh, we hope you do. Isn't that funny that uh, we, we use it, addiction as a bad thing, but in the Bible it's, it's a good thing. They, they got addicted to ministering and uh, they fell in love with the Lord and they got hooked. They got... They are addicted to the ministry. So, anyway, is that cool? Are we good? We're going to talk about ministry, and uh, we'll do a little more overview next week. So, hopefully you can be here. And uh, I will pray, and we will uh, close for today. Thank you for being here. And uh, did everybody like the these instead of the little floppy binders? Yeah, we get to take